Hello, and thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene, where we exist to help people take their next step in a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope that as you listen, you are both encouraged and challenged as you take that next step in your walk with Christ. Good morning, you all got quiet awful fast there. Man, it's good to be in the house of the Lord today, isn't it? What a... What an opportunity of joy to be able to, to praise and give the Lord our adoration and then to be able to be um, not just spectators as we dedicate, but participants, people that are a part of this beautiful journey to lead and point one another towards the glorious riches that we find in Christ Jesus. My name is Dave. I have the privilege to be one of the pastors here on staff. We want to say welcome. We're glad you're here today. If you're visiting with us today, We believe that you are in the right place and perhaps for some of us made the hardest decision that you've had to make in a while and that was to come to an unfamiliar place and sit with strange people and expect God to do a work within us that only he can do. We want to say we recognize that and we are so glad that you are here today. For those watching online in your homes, good morning and welcome to our family. This morning's a a big morning for us as we begin our growth track that uh, Pastor Ben will be leading next service and Justin is leading a class right now through the what we believe um, as, as far as just Christianity goes and how we can solidify our foundation in that. And then we begin a new series today called The Daniel Dilemma. We are really excited about this series. And and over the next several weeks, we believe that God is going to teach us how to stand firm and yet love well in a culture of compromise. This came uh, from a book that was written by Pastor Chris Hodges at the Church of the Highlands. And uh, here is the, the book, and it's a wonderful book. If you're on Amazon or you would like to order this or you need us to do this for you, uh, we would invite you to read this. It's, it's a wonderful resource and tool uh, on how we do this in the culture that we live in today. Culture, though, is something I believe we're all familiar with on some level, Right? That is to say that we all have certain beliefs and behaviors that shape us and that we are identified by. And often in our own homes we have like subcultures, right? And in the Dooley household, one of our cultures is is that we're a little bit of a Disney family. And that's primarily because we have a five-year-old who loves everything, princesses, everything, bright colors, everything, rainbows and beauty, and simultaneously somehow loves frogs and bugs. We haven't introduced her to Princess and the Frog yet. We probably need to do that. Brittany doesn't love that one. But, but that's just kind of part of our home. And a couple years back, I remember I was at the office and I came home and, and Disney, you know, the, the app was on the home screen of our TV and I looked and I walked by and then I stopped and I looked again. And I stared for a moment. And I started to get a little angry. Happened to be during the month of June, which is a month known around uh, the United States now, perhaps the world, I don't know, it's Pride Month. And Disney partners with that in some regard. And they had these beautiful bright colors on my screen. And my daughter, who loves everything bright colors and rainbows, goes, oh, Daddy, look. I mean, 
she was enthralled by this, and I was appalled by this. And I turned it off, like, Nora, we're just not going to watch that right now. And when I get angry and my blood starts to bubble, I go on, like, angry walks. Anybody else do that? So across the street from us at the parsonage where we used to live was this big cemetery. It was a really beautiful place. We used to walk there a lot. And I walked out of the house, and I am just stomping this thing out. I, I mean, over, I'm having this conversation in my head of how angry I was and how dare they do this and assault my home like that and bring my daughter into I mean, I was just giving it to Disney and the Lord in my head, right? Often I, I get in those spaces and when I'm quiet enough or shut up enough to listen to the Lord, he speaks very clearly often. And I remember hearing the Lord speak to me as I walked these simple words, what did you expect? Well, I'd love to say I responded very kindly to the Lord, but I was like, what do you mean what do I expect? I expect them to not put that stuff on my screen. I expect them to adhere to the standard, Lord, that you've set. I expect them to adhere to my standard of living and not become invasive in that. That's what I expect, Lord. And then it hit me. <laughs> Disney does not reflect the values and the standards of God, nor the values and standards I have set as a home and as a family. Who's the fool? Can I just be me? To expect them to somehow adhere to that. They're only doing what they know as their standard. But isn't this the reality of the culture we live in today? Not just in the United States, but all over the world. I've got news for some of you, maybe not for others, but we are not a Christian nation. Two reasons, I believe. First is, we ceased being defined as godly and pagan nations years ago. Okay? Godly nation was the people of Israel and Judah. Everybody else away from that was known as a pagan nation. Secondly is this. Our standards as a nation, or our truth compass, is not found in Christ alone. Now, historically, we can go back and see that they used Christianity because we had the highest moral value system, the highest moral standard to help govern us. But I don't know that it was ever on Christ alone. And if we look back at history, we'll see a lot of areas in U.S. history that were not Christ-like. We are not a Christian nation. But here's the reality of the rest of it. Followers of Jesus all over the world, all over the world, are living in cultures that do not reflect the standards or the values of Christianity. The temptation then, much like mine was, is to react in anger, isn't it? Am I the only one? You don't have to raise your hands. That's like my temptation. I'm mad. I mean, think about, like, what do you mean? We're coming up to Christmas here, right? I've, I've been in Walmart. They've already started changing the aisles. And I'm thinking, don't do that yet. <laughs> it's just now fall. Like, what about Thanksgiving? What do you mean, though? We look at this. What do you mean they've taken Christ out of Christmas? Like, we've grumbled about that as Christians, haven't we? Can I share something with you? We took Christ out of Christmas a long time ago when we commercialized it with a bunch of gifts and giving people presents rather than reflecting on the love and mercy of Jesus. Okay? What do you mean they've taken Christ? Like, that's our responsibility to make sure he is the reason for that. 
What do you mean they've taken prayer out of schools? Unless you're part of a Christian school, it is known as the public school system, right? What do you mean they're putting those kind of bathrooms in these places with no gender assignment? If I mention the word politics, how y'all doing? Like some of y'all already, you're either mad at me or your blood's raising a bit, right? Like blood pressure skyrocketed. It's, it's a good time for us for a few moments, myself included, to practice some box breathing here. So breathe in for four. Hold for four. Breathe out for four. Hold for four. Some of you may need to repeat that three or four more times, all right? Just, just track with me here. Here's the problem, is that when we react in anger, the culture around us identifies us by our anger. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. And then listen, here's what he says. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you do what? Help me. You see, this reality for us today in culture is nothing new. If we read our Bible pretty much from beginning to end, we're going to see that much of it is people of God that stood counterculture. And in our story of Daniel today that we're going to be looking into over the next several weeks, the historical side of that story, so the first few chapters before it gets into prophecy, we find the people of God known as Israel. And these people were led then into captivity uh, by the Babylonians who were a pagan nation. And they were immersed then in this culture. And today, if we'll allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us through the word of God, I believe that we will see how then we can understand the call of God to be a people of love without compromising standards, and live in a culture of compromise. And so I invite you to turn with me to Daniel chapter 1. As we're getting there, we're going to, to read the, the introduction of this, and as we do that, might we be reminded of the words of Jesus as we read this too. As followers, he says, Lord, I do not ask that you remove them from this world, but he sent us to this world, to be in the world, yet not of the world. Daniel chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, your phones, or your tablets, also this morning, if you're here and you do not have a Bible, please see uh, somebody here, myself, uh, Brittany, Ben, Justin, anybody, will help get you a Bible before you leave uh, this place today. But we believe the word of the Lord is true. And it states this in Daniel 1, beginning in verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. 
These he then carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasures of the house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of the court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and from nobility. Young men without any physical defect, they were handsome, they were showing aptitude for every kind of learning, they were well informed and quick to understand and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to then teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table and they were to be trained for three years and after that they were to enter the king's service. Thus, among those we find chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You know, the Babylonians in this text were not idiots, right? They not only conquered, but they then brought into their service the very best of the best and then immersed them so that they might use them. So they took them from their homes into a strange land to immerse them in culture. In a different way, but I think you'll understand my heart behind it when we talk about immersion. It's amazing to me how just 90 miles, and people that live in cities, how even just a couple blocks can change culture. Your context and what you know. For the last four months, my family has been immersing ourselves in Napnaz culture. I mean, we have done everything we can to envelop that. You know, immersion is a liquid term. It means to submerge something so it's completely surrounded on every side. And so we've been immersing ourselves in the mission of Napnaz. And that mission, 90 miles from here in a small town called Kenton, Ohio, though it was the same in terms of our mission of Christ, it's very different than in how we utilize that in the local community. There's a change in values. There's a change in people and a change in relationships. To be immersed, fully enveloped from every angle that we might learn and know. That's what the Babylonians were doing to the people they captured. So they immersed Daniel and Azariah and Hanani and Mishael completely from every angle in Babylonian ways. Here's what happened. They'd changed their language. Anybody ever try to learn a new language? I'm terrible. I'm bad enough at English, all right? My mother will be here second service and she'd say amen to that. But they changed their language from the Hebrew language that they would have grown up with and immersed them in the Akkadian language, the language of the Babylonians. They changed their occupations. These these men that would have been working and perhaps in the area of wisdom, they, they would change that so they would have to learn that of magic and sorcery and fortune telling and, and many other forms of divination that they would use to help foretell the future. They'd give them new names. Some of you will recognize these names as they've been the names identified throughout stories from childhood. Daniel would be known as Belteshazzar. Azariah, Abednego. Hananiah, Shadrach. Mishael, Meshach. If you're a VeggieTale fan, it's Rack, Shack, and Benny. Right? 
hey, in just a couple weeks, please come back through these series. Uh, Pastor Ben is going to talk a lot more about the significance of those names and the change that was given. But I want us to come back to the story as it is today. And to this point, all this has happened in immersion. And yet we find no stand has been taken by these men. We find there's no anger. We, we don't see any attacks, do we? We don't see any retreat either. We don't see them trying to get out of this place. We don't hear any prayers of deliverance. We don't see any stand against until verse 8. It says, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now think about this for a moment. Why now? They've changed all these things and yet now it gets to food and Daniel has an issue. I mean, I don't know about you, but I like the name that was given to me at birth. And when people try to change that, I don't love it. People try to change my vocation and what I do. I, I might have some problems with that. Here's what I've never had a problem with. If you take me out and offer me filet mignon, I'm not going to say no. These men were offered something good. Something that, that would have many seen as extravagant. And yet said no. You see, I believe perhaps this was because they were a people of God that were set apart to be a holy people. According to Levitical law, there were certain foods that they viewed that would have defiled them from that holiness with their God. And Daniel took a stand not against everything else, but in that moment where he felt strongly in his soul that it would be a, a deviation from the law and the standard that they knew. He said, hey, would you please do this? And, and I want you to notice here, he asked some translations say permission. He didn't tell them what they were going to do, but he said, hey, could you? Do you think? Verse 2, it says, And the Lord, though, delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple God. You see, Daniel knew in this text that the Babylonian people were not stronger than God. Uh, they weren't just, God was so weak that the Babylonians overtook them but rather that God gave them into this pagan culture to still be a people of holiness, but now to live with purpose. How many of us see it that way? To be set apart, to be a, a holy people, but sent into culture to live with purple. They were purpose. They were not set apart, or they were set apart, but not away. They were sent. I want to ask us this morning, what if we allowed this view to change the way we see our culture today? What if we were to see ourselves as people sent into a strange culture rather than people that are somehow called away from? Strange in the reality of this, and that is that as Christians, those that have responded to the graciousness of Jesus to be forgiven of our sins, to live in his kingdom and become more like him daily. Strange in that our citizenship is now no longer here but heavenward, right? In the kingdom of God. And so there's a reality for us that longs to be home. And yet to remember we are part of the rescue mission. 
This is the gospel of John 17, 17 through 19, right? Where it says, sanctify them by the truth, for your word is truth. And then Jesus says this, right? As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. That word sanctified is another way of saying set apart, but with purpose called into. Daniel and these men were not called away from the battle. Where were they called? Into it. And my fear for the church and Christians today is so many are, are so passively waiting for God to come so we can go to heaven. I've said that prayer, Lord, come soon, right? Because, man, this culture is just getting bad. And while there's a reality, and, and while I know my hope is not just in this life, it also saddens me. It saddens me because I know there's so much of this culture that without the graciousness and hope of Jesus will not stand a chance. And if all we do is retreat, if all we do is wait and do our thing until Jesus comes, there are people that are going to hell. And there's some of us today that need to ask for forgiveness for feeling so holy and so set apart that we just let everybody else run towards the gates of hell and do nothing to stop it. We're not called away from. Sanctified, set apart does not mean we withdraw and do nothing means we're part of the mission. It means we're people that are sent to the culture that God has given us. The question then for us perhaps as we just wrap up our time today is how do we stand firm? How do we stand firm in this culture and love well in a culture of compromise? I believe this is by being a sent people. But we are sent with graciousness and with truth. And we need both, don't we? We need to be sent with the graciousness of Christ and yet the truthfulness of Christ. John 1.14 tells us this, right? The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of what? Grace and truth. Daniel, Azariah, Hananiah, and Mishael never deviated from their standard, which is also known as truth, yet also giving grace in a culture that was full of compromise. How do we live with both grace and truth? Might I contend this morning that we always lead with grace? You see, I, I don't believe that those words were just put there haphazardly of grace and truth. But that Jesus led with grace and never deviate, deviated from the standard of holiness, did he? He was perfect, righteous. He immersed himself, though, in the culture of his day. Think about it. Jesus immersed himself in the religious culture, didn't he? As a young boy, where was he found? In the temple. In the temple, he was learning from religious leaders, learning from rabbis about the law and the goodness of the Lord. 
And yet then we find him also immersing himself in a Gentile or pagan culture, didn't he? In fact, calling some men to be his disciples. Often we see him lead with grace to the Gentiles. And more often, sometimes I believe graciousness and truth to the religious leaders. One of my favorite stories of this is found in the Gospel of John chapter 8. I'd invite you to turn there. The words will be on the screen as well. Gospel of John chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. It says, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman who was caught in adultery, and they made her stand before the group. They said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And in the law of Moses, commanded us to stone, to have this woman put to death. They asked Jesus, now what do you say? You see, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he, he stooped down and he began to write. At this time, those who heard began to go away, one at a time. The older ones first until Jesus was left with the woman who was still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman. Where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. And then Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. This is Romans 8, 1 as well, right? There is therefore no condemnation. You see, in Jesus' day, there was a religious imbalance of truth, truth without grace that became a form of legalism. It became a form of rightness rather than righteousness. And Jesus, in this moment, perfectly balances both because in their rightness, they were going to have a woman put to death. And yet to the woman, he gives grace, doesn't he? That grace that points to him, the standard of truth that would set her free. To the Pharisees, in his graciousness, he presents them with truth, doesn't he? I don't know what he was writing in the sand, but I got it. I mean, it was something significant that caused them to turn away. I believe in my mind, perhaps, he was just writing the sins that he knew they had in their mind. Remember, Jesus knows the thoughts of man. He did that to them again. They, they had questions in their mind, and Jesus was like, hey, why are you questioning this? And they were astonished, like, who's this guy that knows my thoughts? He disarmed them. They, they walked away because somehow they knew he knows things about our unrighteousness. How can we throw a stone? So what does this mean for us today? I believe in this house, it's those of us that profess to be a follower of Christ, we have a standard, right? Please don't hear me say we do not have a standard. We have a, help me, I want you to hear that today. We have a standard, and I believe that standard has a name, and his name is Jesus. 
He is the standard. And newsflash for some of y'all this morning, it's not you. Many of us want it to be us, and then we'll judge somebody, as Ben says, on their worst day, and judge ourselves best based on our best day. You're not the standard. He is the standard. And we are then called to stand upon his truth with no compromise. And yet in that standard, we also learn that we are sent. We lead with grace. We lead with compassion. We lead with love. Because Jesus' grace was sufficient for you and is sufficient for you and for I. And I want to tell you something. His grace is sufficient for the culture of compromise that he leads us into. Today, I I just want to tell you what happened here. Daniel 1.17, these four men, God gave knowledge and understanding. All kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams. God gave them influence. Influence that would change a kingdom. Influence, I believe, is almost always greater than imposing our standard and beliefs on somebody. Influence is greater than authority or title or position. I'd like to tell you just a a story about my friend Matt. Kenton Church of the Nazarene, I remember standing there one Sunday and I saw a young man come back through the hallway. And I had to look about four times. I had to look about four times because as he came in, I started to notice he had some eyeliner on and, and some makeup on. Can I just say his wardrobe attire was a little flamboyant, all right? Walked in and had uh, a purse around his shoulder. I remember praying and asking God, God, I don't know what to do. Just help me love him like Jesus. He came. And we had a great conversation. He came back. And he came back. And he came back. And my fear was... Oh, every Sunday I'd be like, Lord, please don't let somebody say something that would cause him to hate the body of Christ. I remember sitting across the table at Arby's. Sat down, I looked across at Matt. And in my heart, I was worried about what other people might think of me. they think I affirm him might they think less of me I want to tell you something when we're willing to let the Holy Spirit work it changes us I heard Matt's story I listened we prayed God, help me to not compromise a standard, but to love well. To 
this day, I don't know where Matt stands with his life with the Lord, but I can tell you Matt calls me at least twice a year and asks me how I'm doing. <laughs> and I get to say a laundry list of things and always end with, Matt, how are you doing? How's your relationship with the Lord? What's he teaching you about himself and his truth and what he desires for you? In the last two times, this broke my heart. Because Matt says, I've tried some other churches. But they don't love me. And so he lives his life searching for, for the love of Jesus in a place where he should receive it and is cast away because he's different. I want to let you know something today. We stand on the standard of Jesus. Amen? And yet we love like Jesus loved the culture around us because that is what will allow the Holy Spirit to change, to work. I long for the day I hear Matt call me and say, Dave, Jesus changed my life because he loves me, cares for me. I can't think of any other way to end today than for us to be recipients of grace given by Jesus. And yet also see ourselves being transformed by that grace and being sent into our culture. Where's God sending you? Who are the people around you he's sending you and calling you to love? Who are the people around you that you might want to look at and go, yeah, they got this thing really messed up? Would you help me love him like Jesus? A grace that always points to him. The one that convicts, the one that changes, and the one that within there is therefore no condemnation. That's what he's given to us in his life, death, and resurrection, right? So we receive communion elements on your way in. The grace, the truth, the love of Jesus today. As we remember what he did for us, we also participate, right? We give ourselves over to him and say, Lord, help me to die to myself that I might live for you. We're participatory. And I believe in this today, he desires to transform us. So as we take communion, we ask him that the same grace we have received in him, he transforms us, that we are sent to give that transforming grace to others, right? Communion, personal, corporate, transformational. I invite you to stand today. And I'm gonna invite you to take these at your leisure. You can take those personally, you can take those as a family. If you wanna come and kneel or find a place in the sanctuary, please do so. Christ gave his body to his disciples and he said, this is my body that would be given for you. I have to believe they thought of Jesus' words where he said, I am the bread of life. All who come to me, all who come to me will never hunger and thirst again, amen?
This signifies our dependency on Christ alone. Might we be transformed by that grace to know when we leave this place, our dependency lies not in the culture that we live in, but in the one in whom we serve. He also passed the cup and he said, this is my blood which will be given for you. It's a new covenant. As you drink this morning, might we remember the blood he shed for us, but might you also be reminded of our sin. Pray that the Holy Spirit would convict you. And if there's a moment where we need to repent, might that be today? Knowing that he is faithful to forgive us of all of our sins. And we are transformed then, right? Being mediators, not just of his life, but extending that freedom to others with both grace and truth. As the worship team sings, I invite you to participate this morning in communion, and they're going to lead us in worship. And as we close with our next steps, we go in the grace and truth of Jesus Christ into a culture of compromise. Bless you as you take.
of you and less of me. Take it all. Take it all. The Lord is on the move today, isn't he? I think I wept through the whole sermon. It's a delicate balance of grace and truth, isn't it? To be holy and set apart, yet engaging with our world and our communities and in our culture. But he has equipped you, he has equipped us to be part of his mission on this earth. Everything that this church does, this local body at NAPNAS, is part of that equipping process to go out and share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Everything from growth track to Sunday school classes, every single thing that we do is intentional to be equipped as the body to go out. And so this morning, I, I won't bog you with all of the things happening at NAPNAS, so I would invite you to take a bulletin home we would invite you tonight to come on out at six o'clock for worship night. Bring the kids. This is a space where kids are welcomed and they can run the show tonight if they want. We're gonna be in the sanctuary at six o'clock to offer our praises to the Lord. Next Sunday at the What We Believe class at 9 a.m., we'll be talking about who the Holy Spirit is and his activity on earth and it pairs quite beautifully with the message that was given today. The Holy Spirit is among us. He's in you. He's working. He's transforming to make us more like Jesus. All of you, less of me, take everything. And now as we go, the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you. His face turn towards you and give you peace. And as we go this morning, we go in the love and the peace of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 10.30 a.m. for weekly worship and community with other believers. For more information about upcoming events or ways you can connect, find us on Facebook or visit us at napnaz.org. Have a great week.